Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. I have got a special treat for you. I've got a special treat for you. I know you thought you were to come here today, sit in the pew and hear Miss Pew what I had to say, but not today. No. What I got right here, what I got right here, what I got right here is some new ears, some new ears from Develop. Luckily, my intuition said, you know, I've really got to sit down and talk to this guy. I mean, the worst that can happen is I lose a half an hour. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Garnet Schulhauser a little bit later about the spirit world and all that fun stuff. But first, Graham, I don't want to talk about that Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? <laughs> Hey man, I'm not doing too bad. No? No. Late night? Almost midnight in the studio, getting ready for an interview, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm across the pond. Yeah. We got black lights going on. Yeah, we're sort of trying to, to spice up the studio a little bit. I met a couple guys it's hard to see. today, uh, getting my new phone. I gave them our card and uh, was talking about all kinds of conspiracies and stuff, so hopefully they're listening. So I'll say hi to the guys from Rogers. Rogers guys. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They're right into it. One guy's been like on the ETS forum for like over a decade and stuff. Is he a contributor? <clears throat> no, they haven't heard of the show. So not to the ATS. Oh, I don't know. Or probably ATS above top secret. Yeah, probably. Huh. He contributes, I think, in in the forum, anyways, via writing and stuff. So. Maybe he can give you a deal on your cell phone. Yeah, apparently not. The cell phone that I can't get going. Well, at last check, this one has... 10 hours to upload to the cloud? Uh, no, it's going to be longer than that. It's, it's estimating. It's frustrating, man. I'm trying to back this thing up like three times and it's not working. Estimating. I think at last check, it was 12 hours remaining. Really? Yeah. About 12 hours remaining. So I guess they'll be coming back in the morning for it then, basically? I'm just going to take another 12 hours to <laughs> upload onto the new phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an all-weekend affair. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, that's the software geniuses at Apple for you. Yeah, thanks. So I got uh, some feedback. Feedback? Yeah. What sort of feedback? Well, I mean, I'd like to thank a couple of people that have given us feedback on iTunes. I don't really like to read all the reviews because it feels very egotistical or something, but I want to thank uh, a couple guys here. I can't find the, I can't find the name now, Darren. 
<laughs> tried to buy you some time. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it's from Gumball. I want to thank Gumball Triple uh, Eleven and Polydectus for great, great reviews on iTunes. So I'll keep that up. I want to get lots of reviews on iTunes. It really does help the algorithms and it helps us grow and get more listeners and keep the guests coming and stuff. And grow the hegemony. And you wanted me to read uh, some some feedback though from. Uh, I did. Yeah. What's from our buddy Jim Dexter. Jimmy D. Jimmy D. So this is from me. He says, uh, I just want to say that I've been with you guys since the very beginning. I might have missed the first episode, and although life has sidetracked me for a while, I just binge listened to almost the last year's worth of shows and have been impressed, entertained, and enlightened or inspired, or some combination of all of the above, though always entertained after every one. I've not found a weak show yet. All great. Life happens so quick. I've not been able to lend any financial support, but hope to in the near future. You deserve it. Love to maybe chat someday. I have a story or two to tell. Was that the feedback you were wanting me to read? I thought there was something else. No, I don't remember. But thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks. Jim's been with us since the beginning. One of our original fans. Yeah, and we decided to go like no ads and no... Um, no sponsorships, nothing like that. So it's purely value for value. So we do have expenses here and we do accept donations and of all kinds. And, uh, yeah, that really helps out the show. Or hugs. Or hugs. Send grab an e-hug. I'd rather, yeah, yeah. I'd rather have a trip report, a psychedelic trip report, or a lucid dream experience, or a UFO experience, or what else? Feedback. A review. A review. Yeah. Or a referral. Or how about this? Ephraim's got an idea. What's that? He's like, hey, dudes, by the, li- by the way, I've been listening in and out, and oh, I feel field like... field reporting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, sh- sa- he says, I've been listening in, and I feel like you guys are hitting a newer, higher level. Okay, enough of Ephraim the guru. He was wondering, he thought of his field reporting idea. So email, email. Ephraim did a kind of a UFO investigation on the street. And he videotaped it and sent it in. So he's he's thinking about uh, doing some more field reporting for Great American. We thought we'd throw it out there to all the listeners if you guys want to do some casual, super casual field reporting. And like Red Pill Junkie was just on, and he's coming on in this episode to talk about uh, the Roswell Slide event. So if you've gone to any events or sightings and stuff like that, feel free to to write us in, or you can maybe even call in and, and tell us about it. Absolutely. We can line something up for sure. So thanks, Ephraim. Ephraim, we should link to his one with the Spanish guy. Yeah. Wonder he's the interpreter, or not interpreter. Translator? Yeah, translator. Is that the word? I prefer everyone should go to Ephraim's YouTube channel and check out his old helicopter <laughs> and his old fucking... His old, He's early, got, his old 90s purple jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> and his hockey mullet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if he bald. wasn't in the purple jumpsuit, I could have thought he was a Canadian hockey player. But, but he's, he's, what is he doing? He's trying to fly his, his man-made his pedal, his helicopter. pedal helicopter. It's pretty cool. Lift. He gets it going pretty good. It looks pretty dangerous, actually. Yeah, it'd be fun. Like, what if you sprain an ankle in that guy? And you're fucking, you're fucking coming down hard. If you, eh? if you run out of if you run out of energy, <laughs> make sure you're ready for it. Don't eat more than a half hour before riding your. Sorry, I thought you were done. I thought you were done. 
So it's time for my favorite part, the UFO quote of the week. And this is from... Who is it from? Dr. James McDonald. Ooh, I like this one. I've been studying now for about two years on a rather intensive basis, the UFO problem. I've interviewed several hundred witnesses in selected cases, and I am astonished at what I have found. That's from Dr. James McDonald, senior physicist at the Institute for Atmospheric Physics and professor in the Department of Meteorology at the University of Arizona. That's from an oral statement to the House Committee on Science and Aeronautics, July 29th, 1968. Good year. Good statement. What was the uh, astronomy? Astron- he was a senior physicist at the Institute for Atmospheric Physics and the professor in the Dar- Department of Meteorology at the University of Arizona. We got an Arizonian coming on soon. Oh, yeah? Who's that? The guy from the uh, Public Space Initiative. You want to tell us about it? Paul Flores, I think. That's those... Weren't we talking about before? The people that want to put the public-funded... Public-funded lunar orbiter. So it's like a telescope uh, around the moon, kind of? Yeah. Cool. Funded by YouTube viewers and yeah, so awesome. Kickstarter yeah. and a couple of different things. Yeah, without the the smudging of the artifacts by associations unnamed, like NASA. NASA. <laughs> that type of thing. Cool. Yeah. So we'll have him on and chat about, uh, he's a big time astronomer, been looking at the moon and such for a long time. And yeah. His only request was that we don't talk about the lunar wave. Yeah, we don't have to talk about that. We've talked about that enough. No, I agree. 100%. Did he really request that? Yes. Wow. He did tell me his theory, though. How about the, how about the glass pictures on the dark side of the moon? The glass uh, houses I think and that, buildings? I think that's game on. Oh, See, wow. he's not pitching the space. He's not space. He's pitching the moon satellite. He's like, if I, uh, if I say it's to find bases on the moon, then he's not going to get the funding. So he's pitching it as uh, for schools and education and all that stuff. But huh. it's basically just going to be take pictures and everybody has access to right, it. Right, right. Fucking open source. Do you know how much it's uh, it's costing? Uh, a million, ten million, a million. Hmm. I think they talked to someone. Well, we'll get into it all next week. Well, you guys won't hear it for a while yet. Okay, I wanted to do a others report um, app, others report segment, but um, we don't have time, so I'll save it for next time. Fair oh, enough. that went fast. Yeah, yeah. We'll jump in here with RPJ. And uh, chat about Roswell a little bit, and then we'll jump in with Garnet. And we're here with Grime American Field Correspondent, <laughs> Red Pill Junkie. He's going to report <laughs> back to us about his little adventure to where was that thing anyway? Uh, the National Auditorium in Mexico City. How many people does that thing hold? Like 300,000? Uh, no, 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 no. It's not a stadium, man. It's a. Oh. Uh, 10, Sounds big, a national auditorium. Sounds big. It is not that big, but it is um, uh, quite, I don't know, illustrious. You know, it, it, it is uh, 
a swanky, a swanky theater for sure. Mexican swank. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, uh, Michael Bublé. If Michael Bublé comes to, to to give a concert in Mexico, he will give give it at the National Auditorium. How are your seats? Have we even talked well, about what we were what we're talking about yet? No, we should mention that. Yeah, Red Red's talking. <laughs> yeah. Red's talking about. Uh, are you talking about the Roswell slide slide thing, Red? No, I'm talking about <laughs> a Barry Manilow concert, dude. I actually went to a Barry Manilow concert at the National Auditorium many, many months ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. what, what was his song again? He had a few, mm. didn't he? But... He had a few. Sing one to me. Go back, go back, Cabana. Yeah, that reminds <laughs> me of the 70s for sure. Yeah. I never no, so, so this was the, the much-awaited... Uh, Roswell Slides presentation, you know, the, the quote-unquote smoking gun, the event that will change his, that will change history, according to Jaime Maussan, who, who, who get, uh, did a pretty job promoting it, because even though he didn't manage to feel it, uh, it wasn't empty by any, by any stretch. You know, I think that uh, easily 7,000 between 6,500 and 7,000 people attended the event. Wow, that's 7,000 people? And we had disclosure. Yeah. Were you wearing your Grand America shirt? And were you handing, no, were you handing out the, your cards? I wore the... No, I think he left his cards in Minneapolis, didn't he? <laughs> I did. No, no, I did carry a few, you know, in, in case, in case uh, somebody asked me or something. Bueno, uh, uh it wasn't the case at all, right? You know, it, 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 the event lasted five hours, you know, only a small uh, intermission in which everybody, instead of, you know, just hanging around talking, just rushed to the bathroom, you know, to, to take a leak or whatever. You should have brought a jug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 will, that will have made even a bigger spectacle than the, Ros than the Roswell Slice or the quote-unquote hologram that uh, Maussan uh, promised, you know. He promised that the alien would come alive and walk on stage. And, you know, when I heard that, I envisioned something closer to the Tupac you know, giving a concert in Coachella, you know, a few years ago. And I say, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. And it was just the most asinine, boring, you know, uh, CGI animation, not even a decent walking cycle, you know. Too long, you know, after 30 seconds of seeing the thing kind of like moves, and okay, next, move on, please. But it was a hologram? No, well... No, it was a uh, 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 black black screen. So maybe you were sitting in uh, right in uh, in front of the stage, you know, uh, right in front instead of where we were seated. Uh, we were at the balcony, so we were seeing the the stage at a pretty uh, steep angle. So whatever kind of holographic effect it was supposed to have, you know, it was completely. Uh, Lost uh, on you. Ruined. Yeah, it was ruined from that position. 
And was that right at the beginning? No, 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 man. Heck no, man. They, they took, uh, it, it was at least three hours uh, of uh, speaking about Roswell, speaking about how they found the slice and who's allegedly owned the slice and how they were, might have been able to, to take a picture of the alien body if that was what they were the slides showed no man they took they took their time to 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 before they uh, came to the alien money shot as it were that must have been painful it was painful man after uh, like i told you guys <laughs> at the, in, on the round table with alex and connor uh, uh, by the end of it my butt was begging for disclosure Um, so tell us about the slide itself. Like when when it finally came down to the money shot, were you just was it uh, what you expected? Well, yes and no because uh, I think everybody knows by now that a blurred version of the slide. Uh, because well, technically there were two slides, but basically it was the same image, right? The same. The two were showed the the body at the exact, exactly the same angle. Instead of the only difference was that one was taken with the flash on, and the other wasn't, so it was uh, darker. And there were other differences, like for example, in one of the slides, uh, you could see um, the legs of a, of a middle-aged robust woman, you know, wearing some kind of a blue dress. And the other you will see, you, you, what you saw instead was uh, the upper portion and the, uh, part of the trousers of a, of a man standing uh, instead of a woman. But anyway, uh, we had already seen more or less what the slide will, will be about. Even, even though Mao Shan kept insisting that the quote-unquote grotesque image that the skeptics and the bunkers had acquired illegally, he, he also claimed, uh, was nowhere near as clear and needed as the slide that they were going to present at the event. And yeah, you could, you could argue, yes, it was uh, somewhat clearer, but in the end, it was the same uh, body in, in the same position and you, even though you could make out some uh, more details of, uh, of the of its anatomy, you could make out some uh, uh, where the eye sockets, where the, ma the, the the shape of the mouth, and all that. To me, it still looked like a mummy. Right. And like the like I heard in the in the early and mid nineties, you know, about pictures and videos and stuff like that. It was more about photos back then, but, uh, mm -hmm. you can't prove they're real. You can only prove they're fake. So, you know, I mean, it, it, I think that type of evidence is only going to get us so far anyways. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And as you said, since they already knew that they tried to make the case, uh, in two points, one, uh, proving that the, the slides were, in fact, uh, from the 1940s. From from uh, they were produced by Kodak in, uh, between 1947 and 1949. 
Uh, and uh, it, in, in order to do that, they consulted with a couple of people, uh, one of them uh, some kind of a, a film expert who said that the slides were definitely from the 1940s, you know, they, 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 it was proven by the uh, frame number in, in the slide itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, protected by the emulsion or whatever, you know. Obviously, I'm I, I'm not a slide expert. I really don't know much about uh, photography uh, and and Kodachrome slides. But okay, so they said okay. So we have established that the slides are indeed from the 1940s, which you could say okay. So what about that? Then the second thing they try they were trying to make the case for is that. In the 1940s, um, the the stereotype of the gray alien, you know, the uh, small, uh, of short stature, big-headed, uh, slim, uh, slim limbs, and all that, it wasn't uh, already established in pop culture, although. That wasn't really um, mentioned uh, during the event, but that was something that Adam Dew, you know, the guy who uh, came up with the slides and approached uh, Tom uh, Tom Carey and Don Schmidt with them uh, two or three years ago. So that's what uh, he uh, kept insisting in a few interviews, and that is quite debatable. But anyway. So the next thing they would they try to to establish is um, establish the identity of the people who purportedly uh, took the slides, and those will be uh, Hilda and Bernard Ray. Uh, so these were a very interesting couple. Uh, Hilda was not only a lawyer, but she was also a pilot, and well, you know even. Even in today's uh, standards, that is quite impressive. And her husband was a geologist who worked in Texas and the, uh, uh, and New Mexico. So they are already st- establishing. Okay, uh, they they live close to where the Roswell crash occurred, and. They also tried to make the case that these were very well-connected people. They had ties uh, with uh, not only people in, in high society, but also they were uh, allegedly very good friends with the Eisenhowers. So that's what they were trying to say. Oh, so these people knew the Eisenhowers. Ergo, they might have been able to uh, be shown uh, sensitive materials like you know images of uh, alien bodies kept by the military. Hmm. So, so even though you probably couldn't confirm it being a smoking gun like like advertised, do you think there's still a chance that uh, it could be something legit there? Like just to well, speculate. I, don't know. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, so. So they also showed a recorded interview with this guy, um, Eliazar Benavides. They also promoted him like some kind of star witness, like the last remaining person 
who actually saw the alien bodies kept in the Roswell base after after the the, the crash in, in July of 1947. So they showed him uh, the slides because they wanted to say so. They wanted to confirm that he recognized the bodies as the same bodies or some one of the bodies that he or, or similar to the body that he saw uh, back in those days, you know, back in 1947. And I must say that instead of, you know, like some kind of instant recognition or that is shown, showing some kind of amazement, like, oh my God, this is exactly what I saw all those years ago. He was like more like, yeah, it kind of looks like that. He kept insisting that the body that he looked, the body that he was in charge of, um, of guarding when he was part of the Roswell 509th uh, had uh, more meat to it, uh, meaning he it was a bit uh, more robust, not as as skinny as uh, as as the body shown on the slides. So I think that's telling. I think that they kept pressing him and say, okay, so it, does it look kind of like what you saw in 1947 and he said yeah well sort of you know it wasn't like a, in my opinion a, a, a 100% endorsement but then they said aha so the star wars witness confirmed me confirms it ergo we have proof this is an alien body and it's also not only that it's an alien body from the roswell crash uh so what did you but, find tell what did you find telling about that about his testimony I found telling that I think they were hard pressing an old man you know a, a man who may or or may not have seen <laughs> something uh, strange almost uh, 70 years ago and you know memory being what it what it is right uh Maybe if you kept insisting and and, and you sh uh, and you kept pressing him, he might uh, 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 put up his hands and say, "Okay, yeah, it kind of looks like like the, the the thing I saw when I was way younger." I don't know, or maybe there is a, there are other reasons why he's why he's saying that. We don't know. Maybe I mean now this is pure speculation, and this is more like. Uh, on the border of being liveless, liveless, but we don't know if the, if, if Mausan paid him, you know, for to, to be on stage and 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 and, uh, and affirm that this, the body on the slides uh, is the is the one he saw in, in Roswell. Well, I don't know. It, it, it didn't there, really there sound being... like he was fully on board. So I mean, you yeah, think if you're going to pay I, somebody, I, they'd be a little bit more. Uh... Uh, assertive, uh, that, assertive about sure. it. Uh, that, okay, that's a good point. That's a valid point. But nevertheless, uh, there's been a, a few skeptics who have pointed out how this is not the first time that Benavides has <laughs> uh, been on the record, you know, claiming to be a witness uh, to the Roswell case, and they they also claimed the, that uh, that he once claimed to be a lieutenant. In the military, but uh, apparently that wasn't the case. You know, he, he didn't manage to 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 get that rank when was he was in active duty. So I don't know. 
and you, you should try to look up uh, the things that some people like Paul Kimball and Rich Reynolds and, and Jack Brewer and all those guys have been uh, investigating about the Rose Bowl slice months before the May event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, are you glad you went, though? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, 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 let me finish uh, uh, about... If you've, uh, you, you said whether the, what, this was a smoking gun. Uh, you know what? This, this heavily reminded me of um, Dr. Steven Greer's uh, serious documentary. And his whole thing with the Atta uh, little alien body that he presented, and he apparently made all these and uh, scientific and genetic analysis. And at first, it seemed that he did have some uh, had gotten his hands with a, a, a really interesting biological specimen. But if you man uh, have uh, managed to follow on the story. You know, it seems that in the end, the so-called little alien he found uh, coming from the Atacama Desert in, in, in South America was nothing more than uh, the body of uh, an aborted baby that someone, you know, buried in the desert. That was so that turned out to be? Yeah, that, uh, well, I mean, it's not conclusive, but it seems to be a, a far more likely explanation than, than what he presented. He's presented that, that uh, the body was human, but it, it, it had uh, the characteristic of, characteristics of an adult body, which were, weren't in, in, in concordant with the evident, uh, evident small size of, of the of the specimen so they say okay so this thing it has the size of a of a of a fetus of a newborn baby but it it looks aged like it was some kind of adult so that that was a to the person who the scientist who conducted the investigation and i don't remember his name right now uh, he said that what that is this is a genuine anomaly that should be investigated further but then after the release of the serials documentary many scientists many scientists stepped in and said you know there are that there could be plenty of explanations why the body was fetus, but could present uh, what what could look like uh, uh, the effects of uh, of uh, aging, and that was uh, apparently only uh, pure and simply the result of the body being exposed to the to the hot sands of the desert. The hot sands of the desert would make uh, would have such an effect on on the little body that will kind of mimic the the effects of old age. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah. So. Thinking about that, maybe what, what, what we have here is something similar, something like maybe this is the child, this is uh, the body of a child, and maybe the, the body was subjected to some kind of, uh, of uh, botched mummification process or something which gave it some kind of uh, uh, weird anomalies and maybe paired with some kind of... Uh, uh, malformation uh, caused by some genetic syndrome or or an, or an illness, but 
having said that, I must I, I must acknowledge the fact that the 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 three uh, forensic specialists that Maussan presented during the event, especially the first one, a guy by the name of Jose de Jesus Salce Benitez, who is a medical examiner, uh, is a member of the uh, Mexican Navy. He has also all kinds of uh, impressive uh, degrees and diplomas on his resume and he gave a very what what to a layman like me seemed like a very knowledgeable and professional exposition and explanation of why according to him the body couldn't be that of a of, of a desiccated mummy or a child i mean according to him the body wasn't even of a mammal wow yeah so this is something that gives me pause. And it's also something that gave Richard Dolan pause. You know, uh, yesterday I was interviewed by Gene, Gene Steinberg and Chris O'Brien for the Paracast. And Gene managed to to have Rich, Rich Dolan for a few minutes. You know, something like a... Like a, like a round table? Plan for, yeah. Well, not, not, not so much a round table. You know, he, he only... Uh, managed to have reach for a few minutes during one or two segments. And I managed to ask him a couple of questions. And he, Rich, uh, gave his uh, position. He's, uh, Rich has been very clear in the fact that he's still not 100% convinced that this is uh, an alien body, as he should. Right. But he still thinks that uh, the body is, the slides are interesting nonetheless and deserve further scrutiny. But in order to do that, and he was also the first one to, to, to demand it, um, the people behind the Roswell slides, you know, uh, either Maussan or Carius and Schmidt or Adam Dew, who seems to be, you know, in possession of the slides, he seems to be the one with the all the the copyrights and all that they should release high resolution images of the slides freely on the on the internet so other in the independent researchers could could analyze it and along with that they sh should also publish the report that was elaborated by uh, Salse Benitez and endorsed by the Instituto Nacional de Ciencias Forenses, which is the Mexican National Institute of Forensic Science, who, who were the ones who presented the written report in, on stage to Maussan, and they also uh, uh, they also made it clear that they didn't receive any kind of monetary compensation for their work. You know, so people will say, oh, well, of course, you know, Maussan managed to hire these guys and pay them in order to, to say what he wanted them to say. Hmm. So there is this, you know, on the one hand, it's obvious that this is not a body that was kept in some kind of secret military base. I mean, it's obvious to anyone who sees the body. The, the body is inside some 
glass showcase in some kind of small museum. In fact, uh, people like Nick Redford and even myself have pointed out, asked uh, uh, the, the viewers to, to notice the thing that is behind the alien body. It, and it's something, it looks like some kind of, I don't know, uh, Nick was kind of being semi-serious when I say that it looked kind of like the head of a werewolf. And, well, maybe it's not the head of a werewolf. Obviously, it, 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 it probably is not the head of a werewolf, but it, it's something that looks like some kind of uh, head of, a, of an ape or something. So reinforcing the case that this is, in all likelihood, uh, something that was taken by maybe the, the race. And again, we need to point out the, the change of custody and, and the ownership and, and who took the slice has not been satisfactorily established by, 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 by the Roswell team. So, but whoever took the, 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 the slides, whoever took the pictures, it's obvious that they were not taken inside some kind of military base. They were taken in some kind of, uh, of museum because, I mean, come on. Uh, if that was really the body of an alien being, then we're talking about the most valuable biological specimen in all the world. I mean, every single cell in that body will be worth all the money in the world. You know, it, it will be of an incalculable value. It will be priceless, right? So that priceless biological specimen do you honestly think they the military will, will keep will keep it in a chip inside a chip uh, glass showcase no it, they will keep it keep it uh, safe from uh, from sunlight safe from uh, the air and the atmosphere you know they will keep it in some kind of liquid nitrogen special uh, bulletproof container yeah but i guess this was early, like 47 1947 apparently so well but i, we I do know. i know what you mean i, I agree with you but <clears throat> i maybe they maybe they didn't think it was that uh that big of a deal like that's if they had if they had a whole big. bunch of bodies and they had you know if they knew that there was more out there i don't know you know i mean according to the military if it was if to, if it really happened the way they say and there was other crashes and all the military wouldn't would also realize that there's it's more common than that's the that's not just the only body you know okay so what you're saying is ah oh, well this this one spoiled i mean it has uh, one leg got off it's kind of <laughs> yeah, just up, let him know? go yeah. just put yeah. him in the glass it, case it ain't pretty so put it <laughs> yeah. in the glass case so, yeah. but don't you think that they will at least show some kind of concern about the potential hazard this body coming from God knows where will pose to the general public? I mean, who knows if if it's carrying some kind of alien germ? Yeah, Andromeda yeah. strain, bitches. Exactly. Great, great to point that out there. I'll do what I can. So that's that's what it really doesn't add up in my mind. So uh, 
at the end of the day, this is my my position at the moment, you know. Either the Roswell slides pass down to history as just another rehash of the infamous Santilli alien autopsy video of 1995. And by the way, it's kind of curious when you think, when you realize that the, the, the May 5th event, the Be Witness event, w occurred exactly 20 years after the Santilli video was released. The Santilli video was released on May 5th, 1995, and the Big Witness uh, event in, at the National Auditorium was on May 5th, 2015. So that's kind of interesting. No way. That's, but, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but okay, so it's either a hoax like the Santilli video, and it's, it's, it's so sad to, to, to realize that there's still uh, a lot of people who... who firmly believe that the video was uh, genuine. But, okay, so it's either a hoax like the Santilla video or best-case scenario, it will go down in history as the Ro Roswell version of the Patterson-Gimley film, you know? The, p the film that was taken in 1967 uh, and uh, in 2015 we have uh, half of the, uh, of the cryptozoologists still firmly belie believing that it, the, the PG film shows an, un an unknown hairy primate roaming the, the forest of the Pacific Northwest. And the other 50%, you know, think that this is just a guy were, uh, walking on, uh, wearing a gorilla suit yeah. with 100%, 100% of the skeptics just laughing at it all and denying it everything. And, and why? Because... In 2015, we still don't have a Bigfoot body. And, hey, let me point out, I think people who, who follow the Grand America show already know that I'm not really a supporter of the shoot Bigfoot <laughs> camp, you know? I don't want people to kill Bigfoot, but nevertheless, the, the lack of a biological specimen that will, could be put on a, on, on a lab table and be analyzed is the reason why the, the Patterson-Gimley film, as interesting as it may be, and I do think it's an interesting film. I, I, don't, I don't really think it's a guy in a gorilla suit, but it's, it's just that, an interesting, interesting thing. It's not conclusive proof. And neither will be the Roswell slice if... It, they were actually, you know, the real deal, you know, a bona fide alien body. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's, that's, that's sweet, Brad. We appreciate you uh, going down there and giving us a report. Sure. Wonder what the next thing we can send you to is. <laughs> a spiritual quest, a vision quest with some, a heroic dose of ayahuasca. <laughs> Oh. oh my god well you know start launching the kickstarter campaign <laughs> send, <laughs> send red to the amazon <laughs> yeah that might work yeah Make you could just pay up. yeah well thanks a bunch red thanks for uh for coming on the show and giving us a rundown of the the uh, Roswell, more Roswell. Remember when you said you were never going to talk about Roswell? Yeah, I wanted to boycott Roswell. 
at first. Yeah, I but... think that after this, we're all going to boycott. We're Rose. done. <clears throat> done. Fuck Rose, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. At least until the next 20 years. <laughs> exactly. Well, enjoy. We got who's coming up? Garnet. Garnet Schulhauser. Dancing on a stamp. Yep. That was a fun chat. It's a good one. You guys should enjoy it. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, big thanks to Red. Uh, enjoy the chat with Garnet, and we will see you in the outro. See you guys. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, in Grammarica tonight, we've got Garnet Schulhauser. We're going to be talking about uh, his new book and all sorts of fun things along the way. Uh, how's it going, buddy? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Um, Welcome yeah. back to the Igloo. Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here. And we've got uh, Garnet here, who's uh, from Vancouver Island. He's, I think we've had more guests from Vancouver Island than any other place, which is kind of interesting on its own. Not California. That's true, but as per capita, it's probably more per capita. Anyways, Garnet used to be a, a lawyer in Calgary, and he had this experience with, uh, I guess what he would call probably a wise spirit uh, in disguise, actually. And he wrote a book uh, after that experience called Dancing on a Stamp. And uh, he's he's spoken at uh, the Ozark um, Conference, and he's got a new book out called Dancing Forever with Spirit. And that's kind of about his uh, recent adventures uh on a series of out-of-body experiences, and that's stuff we love talking about here in, in Grand America. So we're uh, happy to have you here, Garnet. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I guess uh, there's lots to talk about here. Um, I guess I want to start by just giving the, the listeners a quick a quick summary of, of uh, your, your dancing on a stamp there, your experience, and I'd love to then just get into more details about your new book. Great. Well, it, it happened, uh, uh, I was practicing law in Calgary at the time, and, and uh, I had an office on the 47th floor of Bankers Hall East Tower. You guys will know where that is. And so one after Sunday afternoon, I decided to go for a stroll on the Stephen Avenue Mall to get some fresh air. Yeah. And, and I walked oh, a block or so, and all of a sudden, um, out of nowhere, this homeless man jumps out in front of me. And instead of the, my typical maneuver of doing a quick sidestep and going around them, because these people are often on the, on the malls, you know. Um, I, I was, I just stood there and, and, and took it all in because this guy was very different. He had these amazing, dazzling blue eyes that were penetrating deep within me. I, I felt like he knew everything about me, even though we'd never met. Huh. Um, and, and, he, and his eyes were also sending me this warm a gush of, uh, I describe it as pure, unconditional love that was just filling my body with a, an amazing sense of peace and security. So it was an amazing feeling. I knew this guy was different and it was like a deer caught in the headlights. I just sort of stood there uh, like I was in a time warp. I had no idea how long I stood there, but I, I was just soaking it all in and, and enjoying uh, you know, every moment of it. And then he broke the spell and he said to me, why are you here? 
and he quickly disappeared into a, a nearby store. Well, when I finally collected my wits, I decided I should go in there and, and find this guy. I needed to find out, like, who was he? Why did he stop me? Why did he ask me that question? Uh-huh. Um, so I went into the store. There was only one entrance into the store, and, I, and I, I could see throughout the whole store. He wasn't there anywhere, and he hadn't come out. So I went back onto the street, and I walked up and down the Stephen Avenue Mall for, oh, 15 or 20 minutes trying to find him. He was nowhere to be seen. Huh. So I decided to go back to my office, um, and uh, as I'm going back, my head is spinning, and I'm thinking, you know, this guy was really quite different, and I really have to find out who he is. And so that night I resolved I was going to go back the next day at the very same time and try to find him. So I did, very same time. Next afternoon, back on the Stephen Avenue Mall, walking up and down. Um, I was about to give up hope after about a half an hour, and finally I spotted him sitting all by himself on a bench. So I walked up to him and I said, you know, who are you and why did you stop me the other day? And he said, I'm a soul just like you. I'm here to help you on your journey and answer all of your questions. And then my lawyer brain, my skeptical lawyer brain kicked in. And I said, well, um, I don't see how you can help me because it doesn't look like you can help yourself. You've been, it looks like you've been living on the street for you know, a couple of weeks or maybe more and you smell like a dead fish. Um, and he just gave me a big smile and he said, you know, looks can be deceiving because he said, you look like you're a very successful lawyer with everything under control, but we both know that's just a facade. He said, you could turn around and go back to your office and see if you can find your answers in all those emails waiting for you on your computer, or you can sit down and have a chat with me. So luckily my intuition said, you know, I've really got to sit down and talk to this guy. I mean, the, the worst that can happen is I lose a half an hour. So I sat down and that began our conversation. And I quickly found out that this guy really was very special. He told me he was actually one of my spirit guides in disguise. And he had appeared before me to answer all the sort of life eternal questions I've been asking myself for, for many years. You know, questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What's my life purpose? And what happens to me when I die? And so this guy, uh, through a series of conversations over the next several months, he answered all those questions and many others. And he asked me to write a book about our conversation, about our dialogue, so that everyone else could have access to his revelations. And that resulted in my book, Dancing on a Stamp. So that was the very first encounter I had with him. So I... I heard your. I heard a little bit of one of your uh, presentations at Ozark uh, because your book. I don't think your books got here in time. I don't think we got them yet. So I wanted to, you know, check out a little bit about what you had to say. And uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. And I, I seem to remember something about you. Were you going through anything at that period of your life? Like, would you say you're in a sort of seeking mode or anything like that? Or yeah, you... just just to just to back up a bit. I was raised as a Roman Catholic. I was uh, born and raised in Saskatchewan. Uh, raised in a very strict Roman Catholic family, um, and we went to church, you know, almost every day, it seemed. Um, and uh, I was an altar boy and did all that sort of stuff. Uh, but when I hit my 20s and then to my 30s, I started having a lot of questions about what the church had taught me, and I could see a lot of holes in their dogma and their beliefs. And so by the time I was in my 40s, I was I probably had rejected most of it. But and so then I was I was casting about looking for another paradigm to to latch onto something else that, that made sense to me that I can so that I could find the answers to my questions um, in a way that was different from what the uh, Catholic Church had told me, hmm. and so I was searching and and I and I used to the typically 
I would uh, wake up on a Monday morning, and I hated Mondays, uh, wake up on a Monday morning and I would be in front of my mirror shaving and all these questions would pop into my mind as I'm looking at my mug in the mirror. And I really wanted to find the answers. Um, and all of a sudden, then one day, and this was 2007, uh, this homeless man came out of nowhere and uh, was there to answer my questions. And, and, I'm, and I'm very happy he did because they, they, really, they really felt true to me. And I know that what he said was, uh, was really the reality of, 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 of our earth and you know, afterlife and everything else that he disclosed to me. This this is like a theme. Hey, Darren, uh, do you remember this is, I think, our third guest who's had somewhat of a synchronous moment with a so-called like homeless guy? Hey, do, you, do you remember? There's a couple other ones. I think the, the shamanic guy that we had on, Don, Don had, there's a couple people that have had profound experiences with. Don Oscar. Like, like, yeah, like life-changing kind of moments happening with somebody who they, you know, basically like a street person. So it's it's interesting how it's it's almost like, like they come in that guise so that, uh, I don't know, like hidden in plain sight kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I wonder, well, I guess like a, even in ancient cultures, a shaman was probably, you know, wasn't someone of high society if there was a high society. Yeah. Uh, so what Maybe happened? it's something about perception. It's a test in yourself. You think so? Yeah. Like if you can, if you're in the right frame of mind to see it or something. Like yeah. Hmm. So you got to get your ego out of the way. So Garnet, how did how did you find out later on that he wasn't just a homeless guy? Well, he told me about. Uh, it was actually partway into the first conversation that he said to me, "You know, I'm really one of your spirit guides, and that we've known each other for a long time because uh, he and I had lived several lives on Earth together before. And of course, I didn't remember any of this." Um, and he said that uh, he he came because he wanted me to take his message to to everyone in the world by writing my books. And he he uh, he only showed up as as the homeless man the first three times. After that, he was just a voice in my head, and we, and we communicated by telepathy. Okay. So so he and I said to him, so why did you show up as the homeless man? He said, well, I wanted to get your attention in a sort of a gentle way to ease you into the conversation. Because if I had just started talking to you as a voice in your head, you probably would have thought you were losing your mind. And so this way, once you met me in, in the physical flesh, when, when I communicated with you as a voice in your head, then of course you could relate to two and you already knew who I was, so it was no big deal. So, I, and that made sense. I understood why he did that. Yeah, yeah. So, so when, you, when you started hearing the voice in your head, did it, was it a familiar voice? Like, was it something that you would have tied to maybe later as being uh, something recognizable from earlier on that maybe you weren't catching before, or was it a brand new? No, actually, no. I, it, it, his his voice was clearly distinct. I'd never heard it before, so I couldn't relate it to anything. Huh. It, it clearly first came when he approached me as the homeless man, and then his voice, of course, in my head was the same, the same tone and same uh, you know mannerisms and everything. So I knew it was him. So oh, okay, it, right, right. This is the first time I'd ever ever encountered him. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know if people have said this before. And I mean, we'll talk about some of the principles that you learned from him, but it really reminds me of, I, I read those books by Neil Donald Walsh or, or some of them called uh, Conversations with God. And it, it reminds me of that because it's a very sort of non-dogmatic message of, you know, love or life, like God equals love or God equals life or the source, not so much a, a deity in the, in the clouds, you know? Well, that's exactly, and, and, and I read those books too, and, and, and a lot of what uh, 
and, and I thought they made a lot of sense to me. And then a lot of what Albert told me really was was the same. And I think that uh, whoever Neil Walsh was channeling, whatever spirit, uh, he was on the same page as Albert because a lot of the stuff is similar, not identical, but a lot of it is is really uh, confirmational of, of what uh, other people have said, other people have written. Um, and he's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the main things, uh, you know, and it was interesting because I think Neil Walsh was raised as a Roman Catholic as well. Um, and I had a funny uh, 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 radio show the other day where um, I told them that I was raised as a Roman Catholic, and the host said, "Oh, so you're a recovering Roman Catholic as well as well as I am." <laughs> you know, and it, it's like, a, a, you know, I don't know if you guys had your upbringing, but um, you, uh, when you're raised as a Roman Catholic, you tend to get a lot of dogma and stuff pounded into your head, uh, and and you're supposed to just swallow it without asking any questions. And then, of course, when you get older and you start to question things, you you realize that a lot of it just doesn't hang together. And, and, and Albert basically confirmed that. I mean, he said, you know, look at, um, uh, you, you know, the source or God did not put you here in this life. You chose to come here. You chose to incarnate here so that you'd experience things and learn lessons that you needed for your evolution. And it was, so it was your decision to come here. And before you came here, you prepared a, a life plan which outlined the major circumstances of your life so that you chose the place you're going to be born, the, the parents you're going to be born to, uh, your siblings, uh, your other relatives, your friends, your co-workers, and that sort of thing. And you did that with a very specific purpose in mind. Um, and uh, even though uh, you don't remember that you had one or what was in it, we all have one. Uh, so we came here of our own volition. God didn't put us here. Mm. And the other big thing, which really flies in the face of the teachings of the Catholic Church, is that he said that the, the God or the source does not control or manipulate the events in our lives. And the source does not make rules for us to follow, which is really a big one because the Catholic Church, of course, said, "There's a here's a gazillion rules that God gave to us and you have to follow them or you'll go to hell. And, and, and Albert just says, no, that's all nonsense, an invention of the holy man of the church. Uh, he says, the source doesn't make rules for you to follow. The source uh, is happy to have you experience whatever you can experience on earth and, and and nothing you can do is is wrong in accordance with the source. And and the follow-up to that, of course, is that when you die, you aren't judged by the source and sent to hell if you're bad or sent to heaven if you've been a good guy. So there is no judgment by the source or anyone else other than yourself when you look back on your life to see what you've done and and and, and look at the, the mistakes you made and as you try to figure out what you could have done better. So those are just huge things because when I was raised as a Catholic, of course, they said God was like this big old man uh, sitting up there in a gold throne in the sky, uh, dispensing favors and and sending you know bad tragedies <laughs> and bad things to people on earth, depending on how he felt about you. And then when you died, he would sort of you know tally up everything you've done. And as I said, if you're bad, uh, he'd send you to this awful place called hell, you know. And, and that just totally uh, totally untrue. So the the the, the corollary to all that is, is that uh, even the bad guys go back to the spirit side or they go or to heaven if you if you will so which is hard for a lot of people to swallow because most of us think that if somebody kills somebody well they should suffer they should be punished for it not just in this world but in the next but that just doesn't happen right which is really hard for a lot of people to swallow but that's just the way it is yeah so and he also it's says a, it's almost less personalized then right it's more of a more of a you know, it's just it kind of pre-programmed, you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, it can be more, like, I don't know, 
Well, well, Albert says you you still have free will, right? And yeah, you exactly. Can make your, your life isn't as... totally it's, your life isn't totally pre-programmed. You set out sort of the major milestones in your life plan, but when you're here, you don't remember your life plan, and you have free will to act and make decisions. Um, so you you will often go off off course. I mean, your free will might take you uh, you know on the left fork of the road, and and your life plan says you should have taken the right fork. Right. Um, but you know, but it's no big deal because you can always find a way eventually to get back. And you do have coaches, and that's this is where your spirit guides come in because your your spirit guides are like your coaches on the spirit side. And every one of us has two or three or four or more, um, and they're there to to basically coach you by sending you very subtle messages. When you come to a fork in the road, they will they will send you messages about which way you should go, what decision should you take. Um, and and these are very subtle though; they're like uh, uh, intuitive flashes, uh, a whisper in your mind, a gut feeling, mm-hmm. uh, some. A coincidental event uh, that happens externally. There's various ways they can give you messages. The problem that we all have is that we don't really, don't always recognize these signs. And we, we're just too busy and our minds are too cluttered and we don't hear them. So yeah. we sort of flounder away along until we learn to sort of listen to what they're telling us so we can get back on course. But the, but the end result is no matter how far off course you go, you still end up at the spirit side when you die. Like you, there's no other place to go. So it's like... Uh, as he put it to me, life on earth is like uh, actors acting in a play. Um, and, you know, you, you, uh, you have a script. And so if you're, a, if you're someone who's a, an actor who's called upon in the script to, to stab and kill another actor, well, you do so in the play. But when the curtain goes down and you leave the theater, you aren't arrested by the police for murder because it was just play acting. It didn't really happen. And so... When your life on earth is over, um, even if you were a murder victim, when you get back to the spirit side, you don't feel any hate or animosity for the person who killed you on earth because you know you're all just acting out a script. So that's it, it, that's hard for a lot of people to swallow, but that's sort of how you have to look at it. And so, you know, on the spirit side, everybody loves everybody else unconditionally, and there's no hangover of uh, animosity or hatred or anger or anything else for what may have happened on you know, on our planet, because it's just sort of a, um, it's very much like a play. So did, did you guys talk about how to connect with this source? Like how to, how to get back on your path if you're off it or how to tell that you are on your path? Like, is well, it, is it the, the, the cliche kind of stuff like meditation and, uh, all this kind of stuff to connect or? Well, yeah, I mean, that is the best way. I mean, it is a bit of a cliche, but I mean, that's clearly the best way to hear your guides is to quiet down your mind because we all have like 50,000 or more thoughts passing through our minds every day. And uh, it's easy to miss one or two from important ones from your spirit guide. So we have to quiet our minds and try to, you know, meditate is one of the best ways mm-hmm. and try to listen to your messages. And then, I mean, there's no magic to it. It's not easily done. It's hard to, hard to, you know, acquire the, the skill at meditation, but uh, you know, even a little bit of it can help. Uh, and, and then you begin to learn to your messages. And so when you get a, a thought in your mind, a flash of intuition, you will start to learn that maybe I should pay attention to that rather than just dismiss it. What about and, and as you get so, better at it, then you start hearing more and more of your messages, uh, to, uh, which are trying to coax you to take the make the right decision, get back on track. It seems like psychedelics must work too, right? Because you always hear of so many like aha moments under the influence of psilocybin or lsd or dmt you know people do these substances and they're never the same do you remember that study about the uh, psilocybin where they had a guy under uh, 
fMRI and they expected to see his brain light up with activity when he was on mushrooms and instead it was quiet like it quieted right down so maybe that's a an extreme way to quiet the mind there and even though you might not think of it because you're somewhat in somewhat of a hallucinatory st- hallucinatory stage but maybe like really your mind is quiet from all the outside chatter that happens every day and then you can open up to source in the shower too like I come up with a lot of my aha moments in the shower <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a that's a good way. To, whatever works for you, you know. Um, anyway, in terms of the drug thing, Albert did not comment on that. I didn't ask him, so um, I, I can't uh, can't make any comment on that. But uh, you know, you know, meditating is one of the key ways. I mean, you know, when you're in the shower and your aha moments come, you're effectively having a, a, a meditation in the shower. I mean, some people do it when they're walking through the forest. Some do it when they're sitting, you know, quietly in a dark room. Um, you know, it comes in various forms, but the, the, the real trick is, is to learn that when you get the aha moment to pay attention to it and try to figure out what it's telling you. That's the trick. Yeah. Huh. So was it a surprise to you that, um, a lot of the spiritual principles that you learned from Albert, Albert, are the, are sort of the same, like you'd hear them in the, in the spiritual community or it's, or it's stuff that's been bandied about before. And like, I know the skeptics would probably say, oh, you know, Garnet's read these books or he's heard this, all this stuff before. So it's like your consciousness, your subconscious coming through or something like that. But for me, in a way, it, it, it could also be looked at the other way and it could solidify some of the information that you're getting because it, it just, it's in line with, you know, a lot of the non-dogmatic just sort of uh, love and light and i hate to to use those words because it's kind of that's been hijacked too but you know what i'm saying yeah no exactly and uh you know i i I had had come across some of the ideas that albert gave me but you know bits and pieces here and there from other people but nobody else had ever sort of brought the whole thing together into one sort of clear picture like albert did Mm -hmm. And, and and he also disclosed other things that that i had never ever heard of before but it all seemed to fit together because once once I sort of, uh, he gave me the basics of, you know, of his revelations, everything else sort of seemed to fit into place. And right. it sort of, uh, it all sort of flowed and it just sort of made sense to me. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't living in a vacuum for sure. Uh, I did, I, I did hear other spiritual people read other spiritual books, but nobody sort of hit the total nail on the head like the way Albert did. Right. Is there a couple of those like uh, examples you have? For us, that you, that would be those you know outstanding ones that kind of went wow, like this is something you know new and well, it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I think Neil Walsh's books, Conversation with Gods, were were and I read those in the mid '90s, and I thought they were kind of uh, uh, amazing books. Um, and I, you know, I, uh, you know, he he had a lot of things right, a lot of things I think he didn't have right, that, you know, based upon my conversation with Elric, but but a lot of things rang true. So that was one of the one of the big ones. I mean. Uh, uh, that, that, that was probably the biggest one in my life anyway, uh, until Albert came along. And then what were some of the things that Albert said that were, were like a little more outstanding, you know what I mean? For, compared to what you had already heard. Well, he, he, uh, I mean, he, he basically said that, um, some of the people have said that we we're here to, um, not to learn anything, but to remember what we already know. And right. th- th- that just didn't make any sense. And after listening to Albert, he said, well, you know, and I asked him about that. And he said, well, if you, if you, if you came here just to remember what you already knew on the spirit side, what was the point of coming here? You could have stayed on the spirit side and you'd, and you'd remember it without having any lapse of memory. Uh, so th- I mean, Albert was very clear. He said, we, we come here 
to have experiences and to learn things uh, that aren't available to us on the spirit side. Because the human experience. Yeah. yeah, on the spirit side, you can you can learn about life on Earth. I mean, you can observe what's going on. You can watch videos and do all kinds of studies about work life six on days Earth. A week. But it's but it's book learning, and and you can't really appreciate fully life on Earth as a human until you actually incarnate into a human body. Because on the spirit side, there's no fear, there's no anger, hate, greed, no violence, uh, none of those negative emotions, and you can sort of watch. What happens when somebody who's angry and hateful hurts somebody else on earth, but you don't really know exactly what's going on in their mind, uh, either for the perpetrator or the victim. Mm. Uh, so you, you incarnate on earth and there it is, bango, firsthand. Now I know what it's like to be anger, uh, what it's like to be the, the subject of hatred. Um, you know, I know what it's like to feel jealousy and greed. And that's just part of our learning experience. That adds to our wisdom uh, as souls. And, uh, and we need to get that firsthand sort of in the trenches on earth in a, in a physical body. So that it was sort of a major difference. It's not, it's, it, we didn't come here to remember what we already knew. We came here to add to our knowledge. And that would be we, over multiple lifetimes? Yes, exactly. Um, and we don't remember any of, our, any of our other lifetimes. When you get back to the spirit side, of course you do. And then you sort of, then you are, you as a soul are the sum total of all your lives and all your memories and all your experiences over all your lives. And, and every, so every life you have here adds to it. Um, and, it just, and it just helps with your evolution, helps your advancement as a soul. And, 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 and it, that, that's what we all want to do as souls. We want to acquire more knowledge, more wisdom. And uh, by doing so, we evolve. And so, so the, the earth is, is, is like a, it's like a tough school. And according to Albert, it's one of the toughest schools in the, uh, in the universe. It's, it's really hard. And one of the main reasons is because we don't remember where we came from or that we planned our lives. Um, and so we have to sort of struggle along um, trying to figure out, you know, what is the meaning of life and why am I here and what am I doing kind of thing. Um, and, and that's one of the big challenges. Couple that with the fact that we have free will so we can, you know, go way off course if, we, uh, if, if we're not paying attention to our messages. So, so I think that was one of the big differences. One of the huge ones is that, uh, yeah, there is a purpose for us to come here and it's to learn and experience. The other difference compared to some of the other spiritual uh, thinkers is that uh, it has to do with karma because uh, a lot of them think that uh, when you come here and if you uh, accumulate negative karma, you are forced to continue to reincarnate, keep coming back and back and back on the wheel of karma until you get rid of your negative karma. And Albert said, no one forces you to come back. If you leave a life where you've uh, built up a huge karmic debt, you can choose to not come back if you want to. But he said, most of us feel sort of a moral obligation, like, oh, I, I kind of messed up in that life and I had a, uh, accumulated a lot of negative karma, so I think I should go back and try to make amends and balance up my karma. So it's more of a, a moral imperative for souls as opposed to a strict law of the universe oh. that we have to. Oh, okay. And, and, yeah, and that, yeah. that's another big difference. So, um, it, 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 you know, Albert has said, we are absolutely free every time we finish our life to decide if we want to go back and how we want to go back or even if we want to go back in, into another life form on another planet, we can do that. And, and there's no sort of a wheel of karma that forces us to continue here life after life after life until we've gotten rid of our negative karma. Okay. Even though a lot of us will choose to do that voluntarily, but it's our decision. Yeah, and, and you're getting the other side of the experience, really, right? If you come back for the to try and balance that out. So, Darren, did you want to say something? Because I've got. Is there is there a limit like, to the lives? To lives, yeah, because. Uh, I have heard a number elsewhere, and I want to see. 
that nope. correlates. Albert said you can come back as many times as you like. Okay. And, and uh, you know, for some souls, that might be, you know, a couple hundred times. Others, it might be a couple thousand times. You know, it, it depends on, uh, it, you know, you, you'll stop incarnating here when you feel that you have, uh, you know, learned everything you can learn here and that you basically have graduated from the earth plane. And right. it's different for every person. There's no timetables. There's no deadlines because we're all eternal souls. So we live forever. And there's no, you know, there's no um, deadline for our, our evolution or any milestones we have to reach. It's just sort of at our own pace. Um, we tend, though, to uh, travel in groups, soul groups. And just like, you know, any group of friends you might have on earth, a group of souls, they try to sort of uh, keep pace with each other, sort of a friendly competition. And so you, you t tend to sort of travel with your soul group, but that's just voluntarily again. Uh, nobody makes you do that. And there's no limit to how many lives you can have. So some people remember their past lives. Do you, do you, go ahead. I was just wondering, do you think there's like other shit going on than earth? Like, can you like come here for a few lives oh, yeah. and be like, yeah, let's go back over over there or sorry i don't quite understand uh like like can we choose to live a life on some place other than than this existence you know like, like what, another where, material where we all are right existence now yeah like another, another material planet? existence that isn't say earth as we know it oh absolutely there, there's like millions and millions of different life forms just in our galaxy and of course there's a, i saw something the other night that said there's like a hundred billion galaxies in the universe observable um so there's all kinds of different life forms. Yes, you can go there. In fact, you may have already been there before you came to Earth. Uh, you'll find that out when you get back to the spirit side. And not only can you go to different planets, you can also incar incarnate into other life forms on Earth. You can, you can incarnate into animals. Which, but, that, which, but it's always your choice. So it's not like, you know, some people say if you have bad karma, you come back as a skunk yeah. <laughs> or a Canuck. What's wrong with a skunk? <laughs> No, the uh, no, sorry. Um, yeah, no, it's always your choice, um, and, and and there's nothing like I think some of the Eastern religions, as you know, that's their philosophy is that if you've had a bad life, you'll come back as a as a snake or a cockroach or something. That doesn't happen. You you'll only come back to something that you choose to. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you, as Albert said, most souls when they first incarnate on Earth, a lot of them will will try out um, you know a short life as an animal just to get their feet wet because animals' lives are much more simpler than ours. And then when you sort of feel more comfortable with the earth, the earth environment, then you'll jump into a human, which is a lot more complex of a life. But that doesn't happen to everyone. Some very some advanced souls just come here and say, hey, I'm going to jump right into this human body and let's see what happens, you know? So it's different for every soul. Wow. That's funny because, you know, sometimes I look at my dog and, or my cat and I'm like, fuck, isn't that the life? Maybe it's because I've been there before. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I remember those yeah. days. Just chill out all just day. Just being in the moment all day long, not worrying about the past or the future. Well, that's right. I mean, they, you, you, I agree with you. It does seem like they have a very good life. If they have a good uh, a good master, um, it's a very cushy life. I have a little dog, and she has a great life. It's so. contentment that they seem to, like my cat just seems to ooze contentment. If I'm around paying attention to her, she's con he's content. But if I'm not, then he's obviously very needy, but... That's a different story. So, so Garnet, some people do remember their past lives, though, and I've I've done some past life regression, and I think I've got memories. I mean, it's not super super clear, like like uh, you know, some people would describe, but I definitely had a sense, and some some dates came to me, and some friends, uh, old friends, and some injuries and stuff like this. But um, so why do some people? Why do you think some people remember past lives more, and and do you think that you can learn to remember past lives more? 
I don't think you can learn to, but I think, and I'm not quite sure why some people do more so than others, but Albert tells me it does happen. Like, like these uh, memories of past lives will leak through. Um, uh, you, you never get sort of the total picture. You usually get little bits and pieces here yeah, and there. Yeah. You, know, you know, the old sense of deja vu. Well, you probably were there before and you probably heard that before. Um, and uh, a lot of other things, sometimes uh, talent will sort of leak through. I mean, like child prodigies like Mozart. Oh, right, right. Did his yeah. first... Uh, uh, his first com uh, composition at age of five. Well, some of his previous experience in a previous life was leaking through, you know, and he and that's why he was so fabulous at such a young age. And you see that a lot. Uh, um, and well, basically, uh, any prodigy, I guess, that would mathematicians or exactly, yeah, they, they they've had a previous life in that field, and and some of those memories are leaking through, and that's why they're being they're just so. Uh, Fabulous at such, such a young age. So or even, it happens all the time. Even people that have like, you know, they seem like they're so fucking far ahead of where, you know, regular humans are. You know, people invent things that are like out of this world. I wonder if that isn't something seeping through from someplace or else. Or even other planets. Or like uh, yeah, exactly. Like, that's that could I mean. be how we evolved oh, technically. Oh, too, oh absolutely. I, I have no doubt that guys like Edison um, got some inspiration from the spirit Tesla. realm or somewhere else before his he invented some of his major adventures. I, I think no doubt about it. Yeah. Wow. wow. So uh, was this it, hard for you to come out and, and write this then? I mean, being a lawyer and, and sort of doing the nine to five or probably nine to nine thing, being a lawyer, but... <laughs> You know, being a yeah, yeah, it was because I was very much of a I was a corporate lawyer at Bennett Jones. I don't know if you know the firm. Um, it, it was I think the biggest law firm in Calgary, uh, probably still is. Um, and and I was very much of a straight laced uh, stuff shirt corporate lawyer. You know, wearing navy blue pinstripe suits. And I never spoke about religion or spirituality or anything else. I mean, uh, so it was. It, it, and I knew that my former partners and, and law colleagues would be very surprised when I came out of the spiritual closet and wrote and, and wrote my first book, Dancing on a Stamp. And, and, and I knew they'd be very surprised. And uh, I knew that some people would think I was crazy. Yeah. Had, had gone off my rocker. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and that did happen. Some people did think that. Yeah. Uh, but, but amazingly, a lot of others said, well, good for you that you had the courage to go ahead and write this book. And, you know, I wish you good luck. So, it was a bit of a mixed reaction, but actually the, the, the positive reactions outweighed the negative by, you know, like nine to one. So I'm quite happy about that. It must have been a fairly profound experience then for you to get out of that comfort zone and, and come out of the closet like that. I love the I love these stories of people, tran like these transition stories or transformational stories. It's, there's something, something good about them. And, uh, and the, the uh, sort of waking up stories, it seems like. That's kind of a theme here too, eh, Darren? People that have sort of something's happened and they've kind of transformed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Even you. Yeah, even me. <laughs> Maybe me too. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your 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 newest book before we run out of time here. It's already it's flying by. Um, you're talking about uh, OB, OBEs and out-of-body experiences, uh, sort of him leading you through those? Yeah, I'll tell you how that came about. Yeah. I had, uh, um, you know, for my first book, it, it was basically a question and answer session, a dialogue between Albert and myself. And then he uh, he left me for a while, uh, basically so I could write the manuscript for my first book. And he hadn't been around for a while, and I was uh, getting a little yancy because he told me I had to write two, three, and four books in total, <laughs> and I wanted to get going at the second book. But I needed him around because he's my inspiration, you know, and he had, he, he gives me the knowledge. And so um, uh, one night I heard a noise in my bed, uh, 
and I, I sat up in bed and I could see this sort of ghost-like ethereal figure standing in the doorway of my bedroom. And when it moved closer to the foot of my bed, I recognized it. It was my old friend Albert as the homeless man, except he was in astral form. And I said, well, hi, Albert. Nice to see you again. What's up? And he said, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to take you on a series of astral adventures because I believe that the picture is worth a thousand words. So rather than me describe uh, and dictate what I want you to know, I'm going to take you to show you things and, and, and to meet people. Um, and I said, well, okay, Albert, but, um, you know, how long are we going to be gone? Do I have to tell my wife I'm going, you know, and uh, who's going to take out my garbage in the morning? Um, and he, he just laughed and said, you know, we're going in astral form. Uh, you'll Time leave this irrelevant. body behind yeah. and uh, you'll be back by the morning. Nobody will know you're gone. Yeah. So he reached out, grabbed my hand, basically pulled my astral body out of my physical body. I turned around and looked and there. My body was still sound asleep in bed beside my wife and my little dog. And uh, he said, come on with me. And he, he just said, led me up and we rose up through the ceiling. When you're in astral form, you can pass through walls and ceilings and all kinds of stuff. Um, we passed up to the ceiling and uh, up through the clouds and we stopped for a moment um, hovering above uh, our planet. And I turned around and looked and it was like a, a beautiful pendant hanging in a, a sea of black ink. It was just amazing. I, I can understand now uh, what what the astronauts get to see when they're you know orbiting in the International Space Station or coming back from the moon. Anyway, it's quite amazing. Um, so then uh, he let me look at it briefly and then he took me through this sort of a uh, it looked like a doorway, but the, the, the door frame was sort of shimmering. Um, and he said, we're going to the spirit side. So we sort of walked through this uh, this doorway. It was all black until I got to the other side. Then I was standing in this beautiful meadow, the most beautiful meadow I've ever seen. It had lush green grass, uh, beautiful, tall, majestic trees, uh, and a, a whole field of wildflowers that were uh, like in a thousand different colors, colors you never see on earth. Uh, with with amazing you know perfume wafting up and so he led me through this meadow uh, sort of up a, a gentle hill and at the top of the hill I could see a group of people at the bottom of the hill as we approached the people at the bottom of the hill I recognized them and they were my mother my father my brother uh, my grandparents some of the aunts and uncles who passed on uh, they were there all there to to welcome me and we had a, a nice welcoming party I was a bit concerned uh, initially at meeting my mother because she was the staunch Roman Catholic. Um, and I was afraid that she wouldn't like what I said in my book, Dancing on a Stamp, because mm -hmm. I, I wasn't kind to the church there. Um, but she, 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 she allayed my fears and said, no problem. Um, I would have been unhappy with you had I still been on earth. But now that I'm here, I see the whole picture and you've done a good job. So that's great. And the other interesting thing was running around from behind this crowd was my little dog, Oscar, who was our miniature schnauzer who died about 10 years ago. Okay. And, and he was there, and he came running up to me. His tail was wagging furiously, and I knelt down, and he licked my face. And that sort of really rounded out the whole welcoming party because other people have said that they, when, they, when they've had near-death experiences, that they do meet, you know, in addition to their human relatives, their dogs, cats, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, that was rang true to me because there was my little Oscar. So, so it was a very nice welcoming party. We didn't linger there very long. Albert said, come on, we've got business to do. So he took me through the meadow to his beautiful white city that he called Aglaia. Um, and it was one of the cities on the spirit side. And, uh, and we took a stroll down the main street. And there was an amazing sight because there was just a, a, a whole 
group of people strolling down the street who were in all different shades of skin, wearing all kinds of different colored garments from very different eras, uh, you know, in Earth's history. And I said to Albert, like, what's going on here? Because it, it felt like I was at a costume ball. And he said, well, souls on the spirit side can choose to appear to others in any way that they want to. And they will often choose to appear as uh, somebody that they, a, a, a person that they had lived uh, in a past life on earth. So maybe they felt like they were, uh, you know, um, a Roman senator and they liked that life. They may appear as such, uh, uh, you know, on the spirit side. And he said they can change their appearance anytime they choose. And some people will choose just to be a, a like a ball of glowing light uh, on the on the spirit side. So it was very interesting. It was like like literally like a costume ball. But from there, he, he took me, we strolled down the street, took me to this beautiful white building called the Hall of Wisdom. And we went in there and inside this big room was uh, uh, seated around a, a, a semicircle table where 11 people um, dressed in, in, in robes with white hair. Uh, and Albert said that they were called the Council of Wise Ones. And they were wise, very advanced souls whose job it was to oversee all the incarnations on earth. Um, and so he said, I brought you here because they wanted to see you. Wow. And, and so I, I, I said, you know, hi. And, and the chair of the, of the group said, uh, her name was Sophia. She said, we asked Albert to bring you here because we have a message for you to give to your fellow humans. And I can tell you what the message is if you like, guys. Yeah, I want to I yeah, go back yeah. for a sec, though, on something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were, you, were you ever worried you were dead? No, no, I wasn't. I, I, when I first left my, my physical body, I had a little bit of apprehension about, you know, will I ever be able to get back there? Um, and, uh, but that, that, that fear was soon allayed because uh, Albert just said, yeah, there's no problem. Um, you know, we're just going to be gone for a, a short while on earth terms, uh, but I'll bring you back and you'll go back in your body. And so um, I, I was very relaxed after that. And when I got back to my body the first time, then I knew how it worked. And so I was very happy thereafter. I had no concerns. So and I wasn't worried that I was dead. I've got, I felt I've got very a question. much alive, actually. Yeah, yeah. This is quite the opposite, probably. So I've got a question about your welcoming party. Were they all uh, deceased from before? Yes, they, yes, they were all deceased from human life. Uh, but but as I say, I, I, knew, I knew them all. Uh, well, some of them I didn't. Some of my grandparents who had died before I was born, I didn't recognize what they introduced themselves. But of course, I knew my mother and dad and my brother and uh, some of my aunts and uncles. And uh, Albert says that this is the kind of welcoming party we all get when we when we die here and cross over to the spirit side. And it depends on who we are as to who's in the, in the welcoming party. But it, it's just there to make you feel comfortable, make you feel like you've come home. Um, it was a very great experience. I mean, it was just, it was like a, unconditional love all around and, uh, uh, you know, big hugs from everyone. And it just made me uh, feel great. It also confirmed to me uh, without a doubt that uh, people live on after they die on earth and that yeah. there's, there is no death as, as such, just a, a changing of uh, a transition from a physical body on earth over to their, your natural form, which is a, an astral body, uh, you know, on the spirit side. So it was, it was wonderful. What's, what's your feeling if, if somebody was lucid dreaming at the time, and they're dreaming about you and your family, would you be able to see them there? Like, do you think that there's a the crossover? If you're deep enough into a lucid dream that you could actually, uh, those dimensions would sort of bleed together, or, or are they similar? Well, I think that, I don't know too much about lucid dreaming, but I think that when someone is lucid dreaming, they're actually astral traveling. Um, and, uh, 
you know, and, and in fact, everyone astral travels. This is one of the other amazing things is that Albert said that every, every human, when they go to sleep, their, their soul, their spirit leaves their physical body and either goes somewhere else on earth or goes to the spirit side, except that we don't generally remember it. Huh. And I was allowed to remember my trips for the reasons that I could write a book about it. And somebody who's lucid dreaming, I think they're, they're astral traveling. And the thing is, they remember some aspects of it when they wake up. Hmm. Yeah, so I think, it's, I, think it's, I think they go to the same place. They go in the astral plane and they, uh, they, they see different things. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know if I, if I would uh, be able to run into anyone who's doing it when I was over there, but possibly I could have. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I kind of agree with you too. I think that when you're in those, I think there's different stages of dreams. Some of them, the real deep, profound ones could be what you're talking about. And then it, there's like sometimes lighter ones that really don't have as much meaning or as much depth. Yeah, oh, I think so. I think that's right. And I think I think not all dreams are a result of astral traveling. I think there, there's different kinds of dreams. Um, and, uh, it, you know, a lot of people have asked me if, uh, you know, uh, after I tell my story about my astral travels, they can say, well, how do you know you didn't just dream all this? And I said, well, because I've had lots of dreams in my life and even the most vivid dreams disappear quickly within like two or three hours after I wake up. Yeah. But my memories of my astral travels were very lucid, very vivid for quite a long time after. And in fact, I still remember a lot of it. Some of the details have slipped, but I still remember a lot of it. And that was designed so that I could have time to get to my computer and quickly type out my memories of all my trips so I could do my book. Yeah, it's too bad people don't trust our, our discernment, not ours, but like, you know, uh, our culture's discernment between things like, you know, whether they were dreaming or having out-of-body experiences. So many people just want to poo-poo the whole thing and look for some mundane explanation. Yeah, and of course, the, you've all read about, there's been, uh, you know, uh, oodles of people who've had near-death experiences, you know, humans, and they tell the story of going to the spirit side or heaven or wherever it was they went. And that's all very true. They actually did do that. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of skeptics who say, oh, well, that, I don't believe that. And uh, and you just dreamed that or you're hallucinating or whatever. But you know what? There's always going to be skeptics. And uh, I don't really care if, you know, people can choose to believe me or not believe me. Yeah. Um, I know what I what I experienced and I'm yeah. happy to, to report about it. So let's... Let's report about that message then. I hope it's not about the Google, the domination of Google, is it? Or about uh, global <laughs> global warming or anything like that? Google. <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, it was actually quite a, uh, quite a serious uh, message. The message, in, 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 I mean, it went on for a while, but it, to, 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 to give you the, 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 the thumbnail sketch, they basically said, look, at, you got to tell your fellow humans, your, your civilization is at a very advanced stage. You've developed some amazing technology, um, and uh, but but your emotional intelligence has not followed suit, so that you, you most of you don't have control of your negative emotions. There's too much anger, hate, and fear, and so on, which causes uh, conflicts and killing and and uh, injuring people, and that has got to stop because they said um, we're at a stage where previous civilizations on Earth were before. Uh, that ended up uh, destroying themselves, like Atlantis and Lemuria, and there was a few others. And they said, you guys have to be careful uh, because you have enough weapons that you can basically destroy all life on your planet if you let loose with them. So you've got to get yourselves under control, and you've got to discard your negative emotions, uh, embrace love and compassion so that you can raise your vibrations um, and, uh, and, and get out of the potential mess that you're in because if you don't, it could go very badly for you. And they said, we're all... We're all right behind you guys. We want you to get over this one. 
we've watched in, in frustration as some of your other civilizations crashed and burned, and we don't want that to happen this time. We're getting tired of watching humans rise up to a very high level and then just destroy themselves. Um, so we want you to get over this, and so we're, we want to send a lot of help, and we're sending a lot of messages. We're channeling our message through a lot of people on your planet. Um, we're getting advanced souls to volunteer to incarnate as humans to sort of uh, spread the word and set a good example. And we really want you to, 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 to make this work. And so they wanted me to take that back to tell people that, uh, that we have a lot of help from uh, the spirit side, from our uh, ET friends. Um, and uh, well, we really have to sort of focus on, on where we are and uh, how we can sort of move forward on the, on, the, on the ladder of spiritual enlightenment. And the ultimate goal is to raise our vibrations so that we can ascend up to uh, Earth in a higher dimension, which a lot of people call the new Earth. Um, and we can only do that if we can discard our negative emotions. And some of us have already moved up there, and uh, some of us are trying hard. And unfortunately, too many of us aren't even aware of what they should be doing. So um, those of us who know have to spread the word. Right. Was there any concern about the planet itself or just humanity? Um, or, or was it all together? Well, they're, they're concerned about what we're doing, to, uh, the damage we're doing to our planet, the pollution and everything else. I mean, that's a concern. And they said, they said, you know... Um, whether you know it or not, uh, you know, Mother Earth uh, doesn't like what you're doing and Mother Earth can, in fact, fight back. And Mother Earth has a lot of uh, tools in her arsenal, like natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, and so on. And, uh, you know, Mother Earth is really a, like a, a living entity uh, and, and has a consciousness. And uh, um, this, you know, our planet doesn't like what humans are doing. Before humans came along, especially since the industrial, before the industrial revolution, uh, you know, there wasn't any, a lot of great pollution, no harm to Mother Earth. Uh, you know, and since the industrial revolution, humanity has been causing a lot of damage, as you know, right. you know cutting down rainforests and polluting the water and yeah. polluting the air and, well, you know the whole thing. Yeah. And so that, that sort of damage, they didn't, they wanted to stop that damage. Uh, and if, you know, um, Hopefully, we, you know, Mother Earth doesn't have to take strong action against us. But, you know, in the last few years, a lot of the natural disasters have been picking up the pace, I think, if you've noticed. I mean, there's been a lot more floods and earthquakes and, uh, you know, volcanoes and uh, other things. And that's just, uh, that's just Mother Earth's way of, of striking back at us to say, hey, you guys got to cut this out because I don't like what you're doing yeah, to me. She just shake mm. us off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Boom, <laughs> fucking asteroid. <laughs> 50,000 survivors. You know, we're, 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 you know hum, humans are like an invasive weed that, that sort of got into somebody's garden. You know, you know without humans here, uh, uh, the planet Earth and all the other creatures would get along just fine. Yeah. And there wouldn't be any damage to the planet. And, uh, you know, there'd be a nice balance, nice harmony. We're, we're causing a lot of problems. Huh. And we need to stop that. So what's your feeling about, we talk about this quite a bit here. There's an ancient mystery kind of theme. And it's like talking about, because there's lots of evidence now with Gobekli Tepe and all these uh, megalithic sites that are going back to like 12,000 years. And then we're talking about, is that, you know, is there a chance that they're pre-Ice Age? And then it brings Atlantis into it. So what's your feeling or have you heard about the, some of those previous societies, let's say Atlantis or Lemurian, if they ever made it off-world like we did? Because it's hard to picture another civilization on Earth being technically advanced. I mean, obviously it was a different type of technology, but... What's your thought about that? Uh, well, uh, Albert said a lot of these uh, advanced civilizations did, in fact, exist. Um, and uh, he, he didn't mention to me whether or not they made it off Earth. What's uh, your but feeling? he did say that uh, they ended up destroying themselves because they couldn't control 
their technology or they couldn't control their emotions. Um, and so there, there was a lot of, of crashing and burning going on before our particular civilization. Um, but, you know, the, the, uh, the ETs, the, uh, the extraterrestrials that have been visiting Earth since, you know, since day one, um, they've been around watching and monitoring what's going on. They've been trying to give us help in subtle ways, like giving us sort of uh, uh, some ideas for new inventions and new methods of doing things and some intuitive thoughts that help people like, uh, you know, Edison with his inventions, but they're not allowed to sort of directly interfere. So they can't just go and, and use their technology to destroy all of our nuclear weapons. Right. They'd like to, but they're not allowed to. And they can't sort of interfere to prevent our wars. So they can't sort of stop World War One or World War Two or the Korean War or the Vietnam War. They had to sort of sit back and watch and let us kill each other. Um, and so they're, they're very upset about where we seem to be going and they're, they're trying their best to try to steer us on the right course as well, given the sort of the limitations that they're living with. And, and the only way they can understand they can directly interfere is if we actually are going to blow up our whole planet. Yeah, I was going I was going to say that. Is there is there a line that can be crossed by us so the interference could happen because we talk about uh those nuclear uh base sightings. There's a whole bunch of, you know, UFO reports and uh that have disarmed missiles at nuclear installations. I mean, there's a shitload of uh of cases where that's happened and and people are saying, "Oh, that's, you know, ET basically showing us that they have control over that or or that they, we shouldn't be messing around with those. So is there, is there something that, you know, I could understand them not getting involved in sort of like a, a, a traditional war, but what if we get into nuclear weapons where it affects more than just the planet and it goes yeah, sort of yeah, beyond? It, Albert was a little vague on that, but I think that there is a line, and he didn't sort of draw it for me, but yeah. I think that it got to be a real mess that they would step in and, and stop us from destroying our planet. Uh, and so they're there and they're always around us, always watching. And I think that hopefully we never get to the point where we have to push that button. Uh, but uh, it might be nice to know that uh, they may, in fact, uh, stop it. But uh, there may be a lot of deaths and a lot of, conf you know, a lot of damage going on before they actually get to that point. So we shouldn't uh, sort of uh, push our luck on that aspect. We should try to fix things up for ourselves and not have to call them in to uh, have them come in to sort of prevent the, the ultimate disaster. I do have a, I do have a funny question. Uh, well, it's not funny. It's actually probably the more serious type, but we've been talking about um, sort of like demonic possession and all that. We had a, um, an exorcist on the show and I, I listened to a book recently about it and cause I'm, I'm not religious. So I, I have a hard time with the whole like uh, the dogmatic God type stuff. But, but when I was reading these and hearing these, uh, these cases of real life exorcisms and that there is some demonic possession going on. And I know people personally that have had, you know, demonic uh, experiences and I, and I believe them. What, what do you think that is? And I mean, is that, what do you think about this whole good and evil and and the spirit, like the evil spirits versus good spirits and that type of thing? Well, first of all, there's no devil. Devil doesn't exist. That's an invention of the of the religions. So there's no devil. There's no uh, evil spirits per se. Um, but what sometimes happens is that some some uh, souls, when they leave an incarnation, they sort of get lost temporarily in in sort of in between Earth and the and the spirit plane. Like and so some of those people are kind of confused, misguided, and some of them can 
you know, do funny things. And, and it's not because they're evil, just because they don't realize really who they are. Um, or in some cases, they don't even realize that they're dead. They still think that they're alive. And hence, you have all the stories about ghosts haunting a house. It's because that spirit doesn't realize that it's dead. And, 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 it, and until it lets uh, its guides sort of come and grab it by the hand and say, come on, we have to take you home, um, it'll kind of hang around and, and do funny things, in a, like in a haunted house. And so sometimes I think these spirits can play those kind of games with people who are, who are possessed, but it's not because they're evil, it's just because they are misguided and confused and they've lost their way temporarily. Yeah. Like nobody, those... Nobody's ever lost for sure because you never ever stay there. Eventually you, get, you, you transition over to the spirit side. So mm. it, it's kind of a, a, a temporary thing. Or, or until they get rescued by the people at the Soul Rescue Program at the Monroe Institute on Vancouver Island. <laughs> it's exactly. fascinating, but they were talking about it too, right? Like going through that, you know, basically going out of body and rescuing those trapped souls. Yeah. Have you, have you gone to that? Uh, no, have haven't. you seen Paul Elder at his institute there on no, the I island? Haven't. No. No, I, I haven't even heard of it. No. Wow. Yeah. You. Oh, man. It's, he's just up the, up the island from you, I think. And it's uh, the Monroe Institute, and they, they developed this hemi-sync technology to basically, so when you listen to these meditations, it brings your brainwaves down to like theta level pretty quick. And they basically have residential programs to learn how to, to do OBEs and stuff. So it's, it's fascinating I've read about stuff. the Monroe Institute and about the hemi-sync program. Yeah. I've also read Paul Elder's book, yeah. uh, The Eyes of an Angel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite interesting. Paul Elder used to be mayor of Swift Current. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, but no, I, I didn't know he had a, a, a facility here on the island. Yeah, it's fairly, it's fairly new. And he's actually like the only, I think, non, uh, where is the other one? Virginia, I think. The non-Virginian uh, certified sort of Monroe uh, workshop kind of thing. Or Interesting. facility, yeah. In his book, he, he went to the Monroe Institute several times. He describes yeah. that in his book. Yeah. So it's interesting that they've actually given him a branch office, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And apparently I, it's doing pretty good. So I, I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to meet the guy. Yeah. So so getting back to that that question quickly. So 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 the demonic possession thing, you probably would say it's not demonic possession? It's not, not possession by an evil spirit or a devil? No, because the devil doesn't exist. Right. And there are no evil spirits or bad spirits per se. There may be some, you know, lost, lost misguided yeah. ones, but they're not—they're not actually evil. They're just—they—they uh, they do things that we would call evil, but they're just confused and lost, and they need some guidance. Right. They eventually do get it, but there's no—there are—there is no devil. There's no sort of pure evil spirits in existence, according to Albert. Okay. Huh, Darren, do you got any questions? No, I think we should do wrong. I think we're about out of time. Can you give us a hint on, on your on your book on your three and book, four? Yeah. yeah. Well, book three's already written. It's already oh, been wow. accepted by my by, by my publisher. And that's Ozark, uh, it, right? Is it your publisher? Yeah, Ozark. Yeah. yeah. It, it's uh it founded by Dolores Cannon. I don't know if you know her. Yeah, yeah. I've got there's somebody here that does uh her her past life regressions here that I want to go go well, check yeah, out. Yeah, Dolores Cannon is quite famous for that. Anyway, yeah. uh, so my third book is is called Dance of Heavenly Bliss. And it'll be published sometime later this year or early next year. Um, and the fourth book, I haven't uh, started on it. I'm waiting for uh, Albert to tell me uh, what to do and when. Right on. Wow. That's uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'll check that one out when it comes out for sure. I've, it's funny because I've wanted to have a channel or, or I don't even know. Could you call yourself a channeler? 
Not in the traditional sense, because um, you know, like not like a trench channeler where the yeah. where the spirit sort of takes over the the voice box in the body and and does that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not a traditional channeler, but the fact that I communicate with Albert means I am channeling spirit. So in a way, I am. Yeah, yeah, because I was I was wanting to have um, one on, and then uh, we we got in t- you got in touch with us, so it's great to to chat with you. It was nice being on your show. Yeah. Do you have anything else uh, before we wrap it up? Anything else you want to get out there or uh, let our listeners know where they can track you down? Well, sure. I mean, you can you can track me down and you can find, uh, in order to buy my book, uh, go to my website, which is garnetschulhelzer.com. And there's a bunch of buy links for the online stores where you can buy my books. You can read about uh, what's in my books um, and you can get to my uh, my radio recordings and my YouTube channel and so on. Um, my my uh, email address is on my website. So if they want to send a comment or a question, I'm happy to get it. Um, and so that's my main contact place uh, is my uh, is my website. Great. Thanks. Well, I'll, I'll send uh, I'll put all those links in the show notes and. People can just click on them from the notes. And yeah, we want to thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Enjoy the hockey game tonight. You too. Go Flames. Take care, David. Welcome back to the Graham Eric Show. Good old predictable Graham. <laughs> you give me a hard time. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought nice to welcome people back. Anyways, that was our chat with Garnet Schellhauser. Uh, that was a great. I had a great time with that one. Yeah, that was. That was. That was. That was one of those ones that you. Know, I didn't know really nothing about going in, but it turned out to be a gooder. Fun and from Calgary and a Flames fan. Yeah. And another guest from Vancouver Island. Trifecta. Yeah. To move to Vancouver Island. I always wonder about the channeling, those types of books that are really non-dogmatic and just all about sort of love and that higher level of consciousness and and how it would be hard to write one of those just on your own. So I kind of, I kind of believe, like I kind of believe in that sort of uh, spirit guide kind of channeling stuff. Love and light. You know, I don't think you can just throw it all in the garbage basket. You know, it's no. I, I like that. I think it's got something. The message to it is pretty, sure. pretty clear and positive, right? Yeah, there's something there. Yeah, interesting how it really overlaps with a lot of other sort of spiritual cliches too, though. You're a cliche. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I'm kind of yeah. sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Big thank to big thanks to Garnet for coming on the show. Um, big thanks to RPJ for his little report on Roswell in Mexico. Yeah, and thanks for everybody uh, tuning in, listening. 
yeah, support the show. Uh, GrabAmerica.ca slash support. <coughs> uh, make a do- donation or you can subscribe, uh, subscribe for one of our monthlies. Um, Are you still giving away email addresses? Yeah, for new subscribers if they want one. If I owe you one, shoot me an email. Um, or shoot Graham an email uh, and subscribe, and we will give you an email address for all, all subscriptions over five bucks. And yeah, help us keep the lights on. Yeah, there, I don't think there is a monthly subscription. So what are you saying? It's any any monthly one over five bucks. There's a, di- a bunch of different options on there now. Yeah, there's a bunch. So anyone over five bucks gets an email address. Yeah. Okay. And we might have some t-shirts. We're supposed to have some t-shirts coming in too. So. Those will be around soon if people want to donate to the show and get get a T-shirt. Yeah, pretty can. cool looking. Maybe when we get it in, we'll put a put a picture on our website or something. Sounds good. Mind right, buddy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, review the show where you can. Grabmarket.ca/slash/itunes. And as always, tell your friends about this show and spam the shit out of ground. G R A H A M at grabmarket.com. We'll see you next week. When I